Manifold wisdom of God. 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 The Lord has made known by His church the wisdom of God. He has made known by the church to all of the worldly powers. He has made known by the church the purpose He's worked through His Son. He has made known through the Spirit His plan from before the ages. And through the church all men shall know the wisdom of God. Manifold wisdom of God. Manifold wisdom of God. Manifold wisdom of God. Manifold wisdom of God. Wisdom of God. The Lord has made known by His church the wisdom of God. He has made known by the church to all of the worldly powers. He has made known by the church the purpose He's worked through His Son. He has made known through the Spirit His plan from before the ages. And through the church all men shall know the wisdom of God. Throughout this lesson, we're going to be referring to this this contrast between a broken cistern and a living well. Now, let me explain to you uh, something about each one of those. Okay, and I'm going to put it in very simple terms, so maybe, uh, I guess technically, some of what I say might be a little off, but it'll give you the idea as to uh, how I'm using these two different terms. So, a cistern, um, as I understand it, would be just kind of like basically a hole that you would dig in the ground and that would hold water. That's, that's what it does. It's, all it is is just a container in the ground that would hold water. And a living well would be different. A well would be something you would like dig down into the ground and that you would maybe dig until you get water or that maybe would be fed by a spring or, or, or something like that. It has water that's going to it, especially whenever you say that it's a living well. That means it would be moving. So a living well is always going to have that water. A cistern is you've always got to put water into it in order for it to hold it there. And a broken one, of course, wouldn't do a whole lot of good anyways. So these two uh, images are going to be stuff that we just keep referencing throughout this lesson. That's because both of them come from the book of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 2. Now, obviously, you know which one you want. You want a well that's working. You don't want a broken cistern. However, what God says to the people uh, to his own people of that day, the children of God, the children of Israel, what he says, um, what, what God says to them during Jeremiah's day is that they have exchanged these wonderful things of God and they've changed them out for something that's broken. And guess what? It never goes well for anybody who does that. So let's take a look in the Old Testament and then we'll uh, come on over into the New Testament as well. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, this is the, the first chapter of Jeremiah. Uh, we actually looked at it last, uh, last week, and that is the call of Jeremiah. Now that Jeremiah has been called, this is really at the heart of what his message is going to start to be about and continue to be about. Jeremiah chapter 2, 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness. 
through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the firstfruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. So God is remembering this wonderful time, and, and he uses this comparison about a bride. He, he speaks about his people in that relationship, just like that covenant relationship of a marriage that we have uh, today. And he speaks to his own people like that, that they were like a bride to him and he was, he, he was married to them. He was bound to them and he carried them through. He provided everything that was necessary and Israel was good. Israel was holy. Israel was wonderful in her youth. That's how God remembers her. But then there's more. Verses four through nine. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through the land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives? I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priest did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you, declares the Lord, and I will bring charges against your children's children. You look at this passage and God recognizes times have changed. In fact, we look at this and we think all, all this talk about idols, you know, this is maybe to, to, uh, to many of you um, who, are, who, who are Christians, you know, you look at this and you just think following an idol is just so crazy, so odd, so weird. One of the things that was happening, though, among God's people was they were following these worthless idols. And what God says at the end of verse five is something that I think is so important that we recognize he says, they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. God did so much for them. I mean, what, what more could he have done? The, the answer is uh, really nothing more. He couldn't have done anything more to convince them. He couldn't have done anything more to show them his power, to show them his might. But what did they do in return? They followed worthless idols. And, and we see that it's not just you know, the common people, we might think. No, 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 it's the leaders, too. You look at this, and he speaks about the priests, the ones who most certainly should know better, the ones who are uh, who deal with the law in verse 8, um, They and also the, lead, the leaders, all these prophets. Everybody is going against God, and God finally says, enough is enough. God is gracious. God is wonderful, but God does have a point to where he says enough is enough, and then he does something about it. You know, as we look at this passage, I can't help but think that uh, to kind of switch the, the comparison a little bit, because God is also our father, to look at him like our, our father. Um, you know, I think that, that most uh, children growing up, it kind of almost hurts you a little bit more whenever your father or, you know, your, your parents just in general, when they're disappointed in you. Uh, rather than necessarily angry at you. You know, if your parents get angry, uh, it depends on your personality, I guess. But, you know, a lot of times, okay, if your parents get angry, you're just like, okay, well, they're angry and, you know, this will kind of go over. But if they get disappointed, there's something about that, at least I think that there was with me, that in many ways it kind of hurts more because you realize, oh, it's something that, that I did or didn't do that has disappointed my parents. Well, here in this case, the way that God is, is speaking to his children He's speaking to them, and he is disappointed. Now, he tells them there's going to be consequences, but in, in all this, 
he's he's disappointed in it. This should be something that should touch them, that should cause them to change. But sadly, as you look throughout the rest of Jeremiah, you see that for the most part, they never did listen to God. And there were consequences that they had um, to, to, uh, to go through. And they went through those consequences. Now, if you keep reading, though, here in, in this passage, we see that God has just a little bit more to say also along the same lines. Verses 10 through 13. God is bringing this charge against Israel. And now he says, look at these other places. Have you ever heard of such a thing? This is how he words it. Cross over to the coast of Cyprus and look. Uh, send to Kedar and observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its God? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. This is where the comparison for, for this lesson comes from in, in verse 13 right here. We see that what these, these people have done, God is just, he just can't believe it, it seems, the way that he, he speaks about it. He says, has this ever happened? Has a nation ever changed its gods? And then he says, look, they're not gods at all, not compared to the glorious God. But what Israel did is they changed, they exchanged this glorious God for a worthless idol. That's what he says in verse 11. And this should be something that even the heavens themselves should take notice of and shudder with great horror because of this. What did God's people do? Well, the first thing they did is they forsook this spring of living water. God was going to give them everything constantly, this, this constant flow of things that lead to life. But what did they do? They went over to another place and they said, oh, we're going to dig our own cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. You know, you're eventually going to run out of water that way. You're eventually going to disconnect yourself from life. That's what the, is, that's what the, the people of Israel did, in essence. Now, we get that there is hope in the Bible, though, in the big story of the Bible. Because, especially in the New Testament, we see that when Jesus comes, he oftentimes used the, uh, uses the example about um, a well or about water and comparing himself. One of those passages comes from one of my favorite Gospels, uh, the Gospel of John. So switching now to John chapter 7, uh, listen to what Jesus says here. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. This passage is speaking of a time in which the Spirit is going to be openly uh, poured out, where in verse 38 says, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. That's what God wants to provide his people. But what did they choose? They chose in Jeremiah's day to dig broken cisterns, things that are just messed up, to follow worthless idols, and they in turn become worthless. Be careful what we do with our time. Be careful what we do with our resources. Be careful what we do with our worship of God. So this passage here speaks about this spring 
um, or the rivers of, of living water, uh, that, that spring of, of, living, uh, of a living well. What does that living well look like? And to this, I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 13. I believe Hebrews chapter 13 gives us a, uh, a pretty good list of all these kind of miscellaneous things combined together as to, to what the people of God are supposed to look like. So here as um, the Hebrew writer is uh, ending um, his letter, he writes in chapter 13 verses 1 through 8, he says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. You see in this passage what this living well looks like, what God is offering us. He's offering us, like verse 1 says, about loving one another. That is the, what it means to be this type of community, to have this type of community. It's one that loves one another. In verse 2, it's one that shows hospitalities to other people. In verse 3, it speaks about remembering those in prison. And, and this requires a little bit of explanation for us. Because, you know, we think of, um, oh, the prisons of our day. No, no, no. The prisons of uh, their day in the New Testament were different than our prisons. Our prisons... Um, it, to be quite honest, our prisoners are, are pretty, you know, well uh, kept up compared to prisons of that day. You know, in our prisons, uh, they will give you food. Um, they will give you a place to sleep and, you know, other things as well. Not so with prisons in the New Testament. The prisons in the New Testament, as I understand it, uh, they would lock you up. And it was up to people that you knew to provide your food and just your, your everything that you needed. Prisons didn't have a certain fund like what they, they do today. And for someone to be in prison, it was really hard. It, it was hard to do everything about it. So when Paul would go into prison, well, he had to have people who were taking care of him to provide for his, his needs in order for him to just live. So this right here, continue to remember those in prison. Well, during the book of Hebrews, there were several Christians who went to prisons and they were supposed to continue to remember those people and to help those people as well. We see in verse 4 also that we as Christians should be people who, who honor marriage. This, this wonderful relationship that God has established since the creation of the world. The very first institution, I guess, if you will. The very first uh, group that, that God said. This, this predates marriage, predates the church. It predates um, nations, anything. Marriage goes back to Adam and Eve at the very beginning. God set it up. He wanted it to be done a certain way. And we as Christians are called to honor the way that God has set it up. We're also told in verse 5 that if we are people of this living will, we will be content with what we have because God has promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now contrast that with what God said in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13. Because in Jeremiah 2 verse 13, God says to his own people, he says, you've forsaken me. 
But here we have this promise, God is never going to forsake us. That is so powerful, so wonderful for us to recognize what that means. It means, as verse 6 says, that the Lord is our helper. And we are called, in verse 7, to remember our leaders and to learn from our leaders. To, re to recognize this example that they um, leave for us. Now, in Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to skip on down a few more verses and pick back up in verse 15 now. Look at verses 15 through 19. Still this picture of what it looks like to be fully immersed in this living well community. Verses 15 through 19. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. So as you look at, at how, it is, uh, how it is written here in this people, uh, this community, we are called to offer to God this sacrifice of praise, this, the fruit of our lips. We are called to openly profess the name, be all about the name of Jesus, all about the name of our God. Verse 16, we are called to do good, to share with others. Those are the sacrifices that God is pleased with. That is what we are called to do. Once again, leaders are mentioned again in verse 17. And we are called to submit to our leaders. And we are called to pray for one another in verse 18. And finally, uh, toward the end of this chapter and the, the final uh, passage that we will look at, in Hebrews 13, verses 20 through 21, listen to this praise of God, and I hope that we can reflect this with the way that we live our lives as well. This is, once again, what a living well community looks like. Verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the living well that God offers. This is the salvation that he offers through Jesus Christ. The power that he has that brought Jesus back from the dead and allowed Jesus to be the shepherd of his sheep, the shepherd of us as his people. We are called to follow the way of Jesus Christ. And to him be the glory forever and ever. This is the living well that God offers. Do not exchange this type of community, what God has wanted from his people since the very beginning. Do not exchange this for a broken cistern that cannot hold water. It will not go well and it will not sustain you. Only Jesus Christ, through this plan of God, is what sustains us and keeps us alive. I love you, Lord, so I want to be baptized and wash my sins away. I love you, Lord, so I want to be baptized and then I can be saved. I love you, Lord, so I want to be baptized. With Jesus I'll be raised. I 
love you, Lord, so I want to be baptized. Giving God, Giving God the praise, and I'll be born again. Born of the water and the Spirit, and I'll be born again. Wash in the blood of the Lamb, and I'll be born again. Walking in the love of forgiveness, and I'll be born again, yes, born again, obeying Christ the Lamb. I love the Lord, so my friends, I've been baptized, and washed my sins away. I love the Lord, so my friend, I've been baptized, I'm now among the saved. I love the Lord, so my friend, I've been baptized, with Jesus I've been raised. I love the Lord, so my friend, I've been baptized, giving God, giving God the praise, and I've been born again, born of the water and the Spirit, and I've been born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and I've been born again, walking in a life of forgiveness, and I've been born again, yes, born again, a child of God I am. I love you, friends, won't you come and be baptized, and wash your sins away. I love you, friend, won't you come and be baptized, and then you can be saved. I love you, friend, won't you come and be baptized, with Jesus you'll be raised. I love you, friend, won't you come and be baptized? Giving God the praise, and you'll be born again. Born of the water and the Spirit, and you'll be born again. Wash in the blood of the Lamb, and you'll be born again. Walking in a life of forgiveness, and you'll be born Yes, born again, obey.